Uh, Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. So at the very heart of the Christian faith is the the belief that Jesus, the Son of God, died, was buried, and then three days later rose from the dead. Um, Tim Keller said this, and I thought it was a great way to start. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. (laughs) Jesus' resurrection validates all of it. He made some pretty bold claims when, when he walked the earth. His resurrection not only validates the claims that he made, but it also gives us a living hope for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. So as the songwriter said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth living just because he lives, right? So Easter morning is a time when we get to celebrate this and and hopefully be encouraged, um, not only by the hope that that comes from Jesus' resurrection, but by the hope that one day we also will be resurrected. I can't wait for that. So my hope this morning is that the reality of this will really sink in and and maybe even reorient your perspective uh, on this life and on the life to come. Because if we only dwell on what's around us, it it can become very discouraging quickly. Uh, We can can lose hope quickly. Uh, There's not a lot to pin our hope on today, but Jesus lives. And we can pin our hope on that every day. So we're going to consider the words of the risen Jesus himself found in Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle Paul receives this incredible vision of the risen and exalted Jesus. And this is what he writes starting in verse 10. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write these things that you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And this, this is where it gets good. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That's a picture right there. What an amazing picture of God. Now, Now, I don't know what kind of view you have of God, but it seems like a lot of people today have a very anemic and kind of pathetic view of God. The God that many people envision really isn't all that impressive. He's not very powerful and he's not really in control. He's impersonal and he's distant, unless of course you really need him for something, you know. And and then he's like a butler for you that you ring your bell and, and say, hey, you know, could you come and you know maybe fix this thing for me? I'm a little uncomfortable or you know maybe you could or he's like a superhero when you when your back's against the wall, you think, okay, well, I got nowhere else to turn. Who can I call on? You know, and you put the bat light up in the sky and you you maybe hope that somebody shows up to help you. Uh, I think this is you know the the way we we view God sometimes, kind of God on your terms. But John just described a God that's very different than that. This is a God that you come to on his terms and you might come, you know, carefully. 
This is a God that's truly awesome, majestic, and worthy of our worship. I would even use the word terrifying. And I know that people don't like that. We get the word terrific from the word terrifying, just if that helps any. (laughs) People don't like to think of God this way, but maybe we should. (laughs) Did you hear that description? It's terrifying in an amazing way. John's response in verse 17 absolutely confirms this. Verse 17, it says, When I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. Who is this? It's definitely God. I don't think there's any mistaking that. In fact, it sounds almost exactly like Daniel's prophet of God in the Old Testament that we all understand as God. Daniel said this, same idea where it says, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like a multitude. It's, the, it's almost the same description. So there's, there's no doubt who, who, the, who this is as far as it being God. But the statements that this person makes to John make it, make it pretty clear that not only is it God, but it's Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, who's speaking to John. That's who he's encountering here. We, we get a big clue in verse 13 of Revelation where, where John says, one like the Son of Man. Son of Man, was, that was Jesus' favorite way to, to refer to himself. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, it's pretty amazing to consider that, that John knew Jesus very well. Um, remember John's title for himself? He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not because like, I'm, I'm, I'm his favorite, but he couldn't believe it, I think. You know, I think of that myself. I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor that Jesus loved, and it blows my mind every day that that's true. But John walked with Jesus for several years. He, he spent time with him. Even after the resurrection, he spent time with, with the risen Jesus. But, but he'd never seen him quite like this. You could argue for the transfiguration, but he didn't fall on his face like a dead man there. So this is something else. Jesus is displaying himself in his heavenly glory and his brilliance knocks John to the ground. You know, I don't know what might have amazed John more, the fact that he saw Jesus like this or the fact that he realized how Jesus had to hide this glory to be among them as a man the entire time he walked with them. How do you hide that? I don't know. So the first thing we hear Jesus say to John is this, fear not. As a person who's pretty prone to fear and worry, it won't be a big surprise to you guys that those are two of my favorite words in the Bible, right? You guys are probably thinking, what about Jesus wept? Those are a close second for me, but fear not is something that I need to like almost play on a loop as I go through my my day, it seems like. Um, I love hearing the first thing Jesus say to John is fear not. And I love that he put his hand on him when he said it. It's probably been like over 50 years since John felt the touch of his Lord and his friend. And I can't imagine how comforting that would have been for John to, to feel that hand. Fear not is an appropriate thing to say in this situation. You know, again, we tend to have a problem with the idea of fearing God, but his word tells us that it's the beginning of wisdom. Because when we see God for who he really is, and we see us for who we really are, fear is actually the appropriate response. You know, it's funny to think, I fear far less than this. 
Now, I get it. You know, people say, oh, we shouldn't have to fear God. I fear way l- far less than this. If I listened to that, all the things I was afraid of, you know, everything from like clowns to heights. I mean, there's a lot of things in there. <laughs> Most of them are silly compared to, compared to this. God's not silly. Not at all. He should be at the top of that list because of who he is and what he's capable of. We can't even begin to quantify how holy God is. When the Bible tries to describe it, the best it does is just repeats it three times. Holy, 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 to emphasize this. Isaiah, um, if you're familiar with his, his book, The Prophet, explained what he saw and what happened to him when he saw it in a vision, just a vision that he had of God in his throne room. In, in Isaiah 6, Describe, he describes like the, the mighty seraphim, these, these angels with six wings and just magnificent things. And they're, they're calling back and forth to, one each, one to each other and saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe is me for I am undone. Literally like I'm coming apart right now. That's what he's trying to describe. (laughs) Like everything inside of me wants to be on the outside of me. I don't know what's happening right now, but I am undone. We are told that God dwells in unapproachable light. So, So it's why when Moses asked God, hey, can I see your glory? He said, no one can see my face and live. And he actually had to to push Moses with his face into a rock and, and his glory passed behind him so that he wouldn't just, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I don't know what would have happened, but I picture just fully imploding pretty much if, if you saw him. And you know, Indiana Jones, if you've seen the movie, that's the best we can do to try to you know, explain it. And that's pretty bad, but I don't think it captures it quite right. You know. So how then is Jesus, who is God, able to walk up to John, put his hand on him and say, fear not? It's possible for him to say these words because of what he accomplished at the cross. At the cross, Jesus made an unapproachable God approachable. At the cross, Jesus reconciled sinners to God by taking on our sin and giving us his righteousness, thereby making us holy and able to enter into the presence of God. This is amazing. You know, don't, don't, don't miss this. This is huge. And then when Jesus became man, when he took on flesh and became man, became one of us, he made it possible for us to look upon God and live. We, we get to look into the face of God. We get to touch. We get to feel the hand of God because Jesus became one of us. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if he is your advocate and your intercessor, all fear is gone. Then Jesus makes another statement in verse 17. He says, I am the first and the last. And there's a lot packed into this statement. In the Bible, this is always a title that's reserved for God. In Isaiah 44, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. So without question, we we know for certain Jesus is claiming to be God by saying this. Um, And and why is this something only God can claim? Well, that's because of the second thing that's implied in this, and that is his eternality. First and last speaks of that. So sometimes it's the alpha and the omega. That was the beginning letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter, so the A to Z, we would say, or the beginning and the end. They're all ways of saying the same thing. God has always existed. 
eternally. He has existed. He had no beginning, no end. He was not created. He is the I am. I love that phrase. Like, who should I tell him sent me? Tell him the I am sent me. So he has, he's, it's just, you can't even explain it. The next thing we see in this statement is God's absolute sovereignty. God is the one who started everything. He's the one who will finish everything. He's the director of history. Nobody can thwart his plans. Nobody can, can change his purposes. They will prevail. He is the author of the story. It's written, including the end. Amen? And the last implied claim that we see in this statement is his preeminence, which is also something only God can rightly claim. Because preeminent means superior to and more important than everything and everyone. The book of Colossians says this about Jesus. All, th- all things were created through him and for him. And he is before preeminent, before all things. And, check this one out, in him all things hold together. What does that mean? I mean, think about that for a second. All things hold together. I'm not a, I'm not a science nerd, and there's probably some of you out there, but I know that Scientists don't know what holds an atom together. The nucleus of an atom, they don't understand why it stays together. And what they've come up with is this. It's a strong force. I mean, they didn't call me, but I'm pretty sure I know who this is, right? I think I know the answer. As the creator, Jesus is the cause of everything, and he will be the final judge of everything. He is the first and the last. Now, there are people out there that will try to convince you that Jesus isn't God or that he never claimed to be God, and I will just tell you they are wrong. Uh, Jesus repeatedly claimed to be God in the New Testament and, and, and making a statement of being first and last. He's clearly claiming it again here. But then some will try to say, well, then this isn't Jesus talking. This is the Father talking then. Well, they're going to have an extremely difficult time with verse 18 then. Because here he says, he get, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I live forevermore. So in case you missed it, living, dead, alive. <laughs> Do you see that? When did God die? And the answer is when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, died on the cross, was buried, and then rose from the dead. And he is alive forevermore. Just dwell on those two words. You know, If you're just sitting in your car driving, just alive forevermore. You'll worship God just in those two words. Good. Now you might be wondering, why is it so important for Jesus to be God? Why is this such a deal breaker for Christians? And the first reason I already stated, because Jesus claimed to be God. So there's a term for people who claim to be God, but aren't. (laughs) It's called crazy, right? That's what that, that's the term. Um, C.S. Lewis put it a little better than that. He said basically that if Jesus wasn't God, he was either a liar or a lunatic. The second reason that this is a deal breaker has to do with what he accomplished on the cross. How could it be possible for someone who is just a man to die on behalf of humanity, to become the savior of the world? Would a mere man dying on the cross be adequate to sacrifice, um, or an adequate sacrifice to pay for, for all the sins and satisfy God's justice? No. So if Jesus wasn't God, I'm not forgiven. And that's a pretty big deal to me. <laughs> I need, I need to be forgiven. I need a Savior that can forgive me. And, and God going to the cross and suffering in my place and dying and rising is, is, is sufficient to do that. Not just for me, but for, for, for 
all the sins, which is amazing. This is exactly what happened when Jesus went to the cross, willingly in our place. He became our, he became our substitute or our stand-in. So what should have happened to you happened to him. And how do we know that it worked? Because <laughs> he got up out of the grave three days afterwards, alive. That's how we know it worked. That's a pretty impressive thing, right? He rose victoriously, completely validating who he claimed to be and what he claimed to do. Now, the last statement in our text today is also extremely important. Jesus says, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Now, it makes sense that Almighty God is the one who holds the keys to everything, um, including death and Hades. Uh, By the way, Hades here just means the place of the dead. Um, Sometimes it means other things, but I think that's what it's kind of referring to here. But why does Jesus get to be the key holder? Why him specifically? And it's again because he died and broke on through to the other side, so to speak. He beat death. So here's the way it works. If you get into a fight with death and you win, you get the keys. Right? That's, that's how it works. That person has ultimate power and authority over everything and everyone. Jesus conquered the thing that we fear the most, right? It's, it, it's funny. This is the one thing we can't defeat no matter how hard we try. I just saw a, a headline as I was preparing for this this morning. It said, Silicon Valley races to conquer death. Anti-aging pills to hit shelves in 2028. Uh, There are people investing billions of dollars into this idea. They want to live forever. Go to the guy with the keys and talk to him. He's got this figured out for us, right? And I love that phrase, alive forevermore. I already said that, but I just, you know, we think that we're experiencing life now, um, and that's what we're fighting for, to, to hold on to this life and to make the most of it. And, and I get why we do that. You know, make the most of life. I understand that. Um, but this isn't the life that God intended for his creation. There's so much more that he intended for us. One day we will get to live the way God intended it in his kingdom if we know Jesus. If we, ha- you know, if we, if we have the keys that, you know, that's, that's where life truly begins. And, and this, this is, you know, Jesus has done everything for us to be able to experience this life. Abundant life, that the, the Bible calls it. Imagine being alive forevermore in a kingdom that is filled with love, filled with acceptance, unconditional love and acceptance, filled with peace, filled with kindness. <laughs> I miss kindness. Do you guys miss it? <laughs> I see it every once in a while. And it's like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> kindness. That's what the kingdom of heaven will be like all the time. It will be filled with justice, peace forever and ever and ever. No more death, no more suffering, no more tears. No more evil. That's living. You know, I got to talk to two different people this week that are currently facing the prospect of dying. And they both know Jesus. And and it was so good to to, to hear in their voice and, and, and see their face the peace that they have. They know Jesus. They're not afraid to die. You know, of course, the li- leaving people you love behind, there, there's all that to deal with. But, but, but it was just such a, you know, they had this hope and, and this joy and this anticipation that I couldn't explain apart from they have Jesus. And, and what a cool thing to see because not everybody's that way. Some people, that, the fear that they have of dying and not knowing what's going to happen, the unknown of, of what, what happens next and If they do stand before God, what happens next? Those are both big deals. Neither of these guys had it because they have Jesus. They know the guy who holds the keys, and so they have nothing to fear. 
But here's the bottom line. If Jesus had power and authority over his own death, he has power and authority over yours too. He can grant or deny access into the kingdom. It all depends on what you do with him, what you do with Jesus, the Son of God. He, he has the keys because he is the key, right? John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So I want you to think back to the description at the beginning where John described this amazing, awesome, terrifying picture of God so magnificent that he fell as though dead before him. Think about that God. This is the same God who went to incredible lengths just to be with you. He sent his son on your behalf just to be with you. Isn't that amazing? The God who created you came in the person of the son to rescue you from your sin. He accomplished that at the cross by living the perfect life that you were unable to live by suffering the penalty that you deserved on the cross. He died the death you should have died. He became your substitute. He defeated your enemies of sin and death, and he proved that it was affected by walking out of the grave victoriously. Jesus had the final say over death so that death won't have the final say over you if you'll trust in him, if you'll submit to him as Lord, because Jesus will return one day. It was there in Revelation verse seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Are you ready for that? I'm ready for him to come and I'm ready to see him. Are you ready to see him? He holds the keys to death and Hades. And because I have trusted him and submitted to him as Lord, I get to look forward to him putting his hand on me and saying, fear not. And welcoming me into his kingdom. Amazing. I'm so worked up I can't turn my pages. All of this is possible because Jesus lives. This is why we celebrate this day. He is alive. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He is my every hope every day, and he can be yours too. There's a song we sing. I'm just going to end with these lyrics. I, li I like when I read the lyrics apart from the, the singing part because I get them better. But um, it says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I hope that is your confession today. Uh, it, it's the difference in eternity. This is important. If you've come here today thinking, you know, I'm just going to go celebrate Easter and head out, don't leave without thinking this through, please. This is the day of salvation. Father, thank you so much that you have made a way through your son for us to be with you. Thank you that you have made yourself approachable through your son. Thank you that we can stand before you holy and blameless because of your son. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving sinners and for doing this for us. We are forever in your debt. We just pray that as anybody um, contemplates this today, uh, this might be the day when they, they bow the knee before you and confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen.